0: Good morning, Good morning, church. Good morning. It's great to be here with all of you today. Um, as uh, Mike said earlier, we uh, Doug is actually out of town this Sunday morning, and about a couple months ago, uh, he approached me and asked if I would be willing to fill in at the in the pulpit form this morning, and I was excited to, to do so. He is actually down in Temple filling in for a ministry friend of his at, at their church, so uh, he'll be coming back, and uh, we pray for safe travels for him. But um, for those of you who don't know me yet, my name is Stuart McGregor. Uh, I have been a member here since about January, so I'm still kind of a fresh face around here, but... I've gotten to know a lot of you, and I hope uh, that if I haven't gotten to know you, that I get to know even more of you, uh, because uh, this is a great church family uh, to be a part of. But uh, a little bit about me, I work uh, up in Forney. I, I actually live in Forney as well, work for the Economic Development Office up there, and you're probably wondering why is somebody for, that works in economic development preaching to us this Sunday morning? Well, there's actually a little bit, a little bit more to the story. Um, I actually went to ACU and uh, studied the two things you don't talk about, that being ministry and government. Uh, so I studied those things and had the opportunity along the way to be able to preach and uh, had a, a preaching internship in the Weatherford area after I graduated from college. So had a lot of different opportunities, and I still enjoy doing that from time to time. But... Uh, want to thank you this morning for uh, letting me fill in. But before we get started, uh, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just uh, thank you for this group of people and uh, what they mean to not only me, but uh, this community and this county. And I just pray that uh, during the course of this sermon that you would uh, let your words uh, come out of me. So uh, we thank you and we love you. And it's we pray. Amen. So how many of you have ever used Google Street View before? Can I get a show of hands? How many of you have never heard of Google Street View and don't know what I'm talking about? Okay, so we got a little bit of both people. Well, I'll give you kind of a brief overview. Google Street View is a tool that you can use on Google Maps whenever you're looking for directions or anything like that. And you can take the tool and you can shine it on uh, an area. Instead of just doing an aerial map like you normally see, you can actually scroll down into it and then get an on the street view of things. So it's kind of a cool little tool that you get to use uh, for anything like that. So if you ever get bored, go home, pull up Google Maps, type in your address, pull up your neighborhood and see if you uh, became a a, uh, show up on uh, Google Street View. So uh, it's kind of fun to to get to see that. But as I mentioned earlier, I worked for the Economic Development Office in Forney and uh, I office at City Hall downtown and across the street from us, we have a bakery that some of you may have been to called Latham Bakery. And about two years ago, while I was in at Latham Bakery, getting my coffee, visiting with the wait staff, uh, all of a sudden I look out the window and I see this Google Street View car drive by because these cars, they're kind of these funky looking round cars with Google plastered all over the side and they have this big old camera mounted up on top. So me being kind of the geographical nerd that I am, I thought, oh, I want to go check that out. So I ran out the door real quick and we have a picture because I actually showed up on Google Street View. There I am right there in the red, walking right out of the building, but uh, it's kind of funny because sometimes if you're doing on there, you'll see people waving at the truck, you'll see other people doing silly things, but uh, I guess if I'm remembered for anything, uh, it'll be uh, my five seconds of fame that I had on Google Street View and and how much I enjoy eating at the bakery, so we'll see, but we've been in this series called Major God, Minor Characters, and it's uh, looking at brief stories uh, in the Bible with characters that have a lasting impact. And today we're going to continue looking at this with a story in Acts that typically we might just kind of gloss over and think it's kind of strange and then shrug our shoulders and just kind of move on and keep reading. But I think it's how we treat a lot of these stories about minor characters. Clicking further down the street like we do in Google Street View without taking the time to understand what's going on. So today we'll cover the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. And uh, now if you saw my Street View photo, uh, and if you didn't know me or my story or my background, you'd probably just click and move on down the road. But what if Street View had been around in the time of the New Testament and snapped this photo? Would we think it was maybe one of the first forms of an Uber ride? Uh, Would we not think anything at all and just move on? Or would we examine what's happening and actually pick apart what's taking place and its impact? on all of us today. Uh, we're going to do the latter of that and get a better sense of our what our friends are doing in this story. Uh, so with that, we'll be in Acts uh, chapter 8, verse 26, Acts 8, 26. And before we begin reading, let's just kind of run through what's taking place so far in Luke's writing. So Jesus has died, he's risen, he's gone to be with God, the church begins to take off, and we have stories just a few chapters earlier of flames settling on top of people, religious persecutions, Sermons, healings, mission trips, starting churches, it's kind of a combination of an exciting time, but also a scary time, and also a very risky time in the life of the church. And while the apostles are met with setbacks along the way, they continue pressing forward, not giving up or sharing the message of Jesus Christ. So with that, we'll begin reading uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandak, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him, and this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he did not open his mouth, in his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared to Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in the towns until he reached Caesarea. So we find this guy named Philip running around, traveling, and basically as a nomad, and he receives a prompting from an angel to visit not only a complete stranger, but a foreign stranger on, a, on just a, a road out in the middle of nowhere. And prior to this calling, Philip shows up in Acts 6 when he is chosen as an additional disciple, and following the stoning of Stephen, we, fit, we pick up with Philip preaching in Samaria, as this was an area where the church had been persecuted and scattered out of Jerusalem. But following Samaria, Philip is called by the angel to a road with a, travel, with a visiting uh, government official that's out traveling. And this wasn't just some sort of short trip this Ethiopian man was taking. He was literally going by chariot to another continent. And I ran some preliminary numbers on this man's trip, and while geographical boundaries might be a little bit different today in our modern world than they were back then, uh, I think I have a slide. Uh, If you were to go from modern-day Jerusalem, that little yellow dot up there at the top, down to that red dot, which is Addis Ababa, which is the current modern-day capital of Ethiopia, that's a journey of about 1,590 miles, and just to put that in perspective for us today, uh, the distance from Kaufman, Texas, to New York City is about 1,550 miles, so it was a long, tra- long drive, a long, long haul, especially if you were in a chariot, but uh, Ethiopia in its day was actually viewed as a very flashy and exotic place to be from because it was seen as the edge of civilization. It was a very prosperous place. They had a lot of uh, trading resources that they traded and and were very prospered greatly from, including gold and ivory. Uh, And what's unique about the eunuch is that he has the ability to read, a skill that was few and far between during that time. He's an educated gentleman, and he has a high level of responsibility with his work. So our Ethiopian friend is on the long haul, and I can't help but believe this story is placed here not just to teach us about the first Gentile convert, To Christianity, but to expand our horizons of what it means to be part of the kingdom of God as we work to unpack what Luke is writing. Because when you zoom out from the story into the rest of Luke's narratives, you find a pattern that a lot of his stories are centered on major events occurring during moments where travel or a journey was involved. We see it with the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, we see it with the prodigal son in Luke 15, we see it in the walk to Emmaus in Luke 24. We see it in this story right here with the eunuch traveling. And then just a few verses over from there, we see it with Saul on the Damascus Road and his, uh, and his major conversion uh, out there. And this doesn't even include any of the other stories that we get into uh, in the rest of the book of Acts, where Peter, Philip, Paul, and others are traveling to churches throughout the Medi- Mediterranean region. But what these narratives could be illuminating, I believe, is the symbolism of travel, that whenever one travels, they lose their sense of familiarity and enter into a new territory where new opportunities are gained and where learning and creativity is inspired. How many times in the course of your travels have you learned something new, seen something differently, or had a moment where your life changed? Whether it's traveling for business or pleasure or on a mission trip, travel changes us, and that's what's going on right here in Luke's writings. Travel is changing the way people think, how the church operates, and how God's message continues to spread. And through it all, Luke is emphasizing that these are life-altering events taking place outside someone else's everyday world. Because there's an even greater purpose, however, beyond that I believe Luke is writing this story. Because earlier in chapter 8, Luke writes about Philip being in Samaria. Do you see the puzzle pieces coming together right now? Because Philip has been in Samaria— and then we find a foreign man that's highly interested in Jesus who's leaving Jerusalem, and then he's going back to his home on another continent, which just happens to be on the edge of civilization. We find the fulfillment of God's promise in Acts 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, God uses this eunuch to fulfill his promise of the spreading of witnesses to the corners of the earth and the edge of civilization, as it was thought of in that day. But what's even more interesting is the type of person God uses to spread his message. You see, eunuchs back in the day were typically found as your government officials. One, due to them being castrated males, they were more resistant to scandal and scrutiny within government. And two, they were people that were not looked upon favorably by the Jews. So I think what Luke is really telling us here, with this man being chief treasurer and a eunuch, not looked upon favorably by Jews, is that this Ethiopian gentleman is basically the ancient version of what we would consider an IRS agent. But in all seriousness, despite this guy's important governmental appointment, he was not looked upon favorably by those that were part of the emerging church. This wasn't just a modern-day opinion toward this class of people, but one deeply rooted in the Torah that Jews were taught from a very young age. Just take a look at what's recorded in Levitical law in uh, Leviticus chapter 21. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to Aaron. Tell him, No man in your family line with any flaws may come near to offer food to the Lord. This is true for all time to come. No man who has any flaws can come near. No man who is blind or disabled can come. No man whose body is scarred or twisted can come. No man whose foot or hand is disabled can come. No man whose back is bent can come. No man who is too short can come. No man who has anything wrong with his eyes can come. No man who has boils or running sores can come. No man who has sex glands are crushed can come. No man with any flaws who is in the family line of Aaron the priest may come near me. He can't come to bring the food offerings to the Lord. If he has any flaws, he must not come near to offer food to the Lord." He can eat the holy food. He can also eat my very holy food. But because he has a flaw, he must not go near the curtain to approach the altar. If he does, he will, be, he will make my sacred tent unclean. I am the Lord. I make everything holy. And then also in Deuteronomy chapter 23, we see it lays out that no man whose sex organs have been crushed or cut can join in worship with the Lord's people. Because, you see, this was a belief back in that day that for some reason your physical health... Reflected upon how your spiritual health was, people people would shun you because of your, your physical looks and and maybe deformities or or uh, diseases that were that you were caught up in. Say that you know that that's not necessarily somebody that that should necessarily maybe be part of our worship or maybe that we can keep at a distance from us. But therefore, our Ethiopian friend is probably traveling back home a little confused, because despite his travels and anticipation of worshiping and learning more about this man named Jesus. He was most likely met with rejection and concern that they would be violating scripture and the law. You see, God's mission is more intentional than every, an everyday convert that was accepted in their day coming to know Jesus. This is someone God is using intentionally who is not only rejected by Jews, but also someone with authoritative power. It's a guy who has actually some political power. As you see, in Jesus' teachings, we see how political and religious power was utilized against the spreading of the gospel. And just in the chapter before, in Acts 7, we see how the Sanhedrin uses their power against spreading the message through the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr. However, a few verses later, we find a person on the inside of government who becomes the first Gentile convert into Christianity. It's a fulfillment of the prophecy we find in Isaiah 56, which says, For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name, better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure together. But you see, this is a classic move we see throughout scripture. Imperfect, many times unclean people being used to move forward the story and mission of God. We see it with Joshua In in the book of Joshua with Rahab, a prostitute who assisted Israelites, uh, spies in, in, in their quest. We see this with the prophet Hosea where he marries the prostitute Gomer to illustrate God's love and relationship to Israel. And we see it a few verses later from where our story is this morning where God takes Saul, a man so unbelievably vile who murdered people to become one of the most dynamic missionaries and spreaders of the gospel that we find in the New Testament. God uses prostitutes, murderers and eunuchs to see how people can, uh, can spread his message into the world. And uh, the eunuch story high, is highlighted in Scripture as a sign of things to come, and it sets the tone for the church as a whole, for Gentile converts coming into faith communities. And it's people like us in this room today, some who may be a little more scrappy than others, that are part of this story, because as modern-day Gentiles we are all in one way or another an Ethiopian eunuch. So going back to what I was saying earlier, the eunuch leaves Jerusalem most likely having been rejected for his social status, and while he leaves the scene in Jerusalem, notice the story doesn't end with him being rejected and deciding to go home empty-handed, feeling like just Christianity wasn't really for him. There was something else motivating him to continue studying and wrapping his mind around this man named Jesus. And I'm convinced that it was the Holy Spirit that was keeping this fire going. Because while it was an angel that told Philip to go back to the road, it was the Spirit, according to verse 29, that told Philip to go to the chariot and stay near it. Now, I don't know about you, but I would probably feel pretty uncomfortable doing something like that in today's world because just about any time somebody's following you, whether unintentionally or intentionally, they're going to call the cops on you. But uh, Philip pushes past any kind of fear he has because it was a spirit that was driving him to the scene, and it was a spirit at work in the eunuch that continued his interest in wanting to study more about Jesus. And when you look at stories throughout the book of Acts, you see how God uses different mechanisms to call people or get their attention. We see it through angels. We see it through direct speech. We see it through visions or flames and other different ways. And I believe this story uses the spirit because of the way it's at work in our lives and then the lives of those who are seeking out Jesus. For earlier in the Gospels, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And when we get to the end of this story and the lights go off and the curtains close due to the Spirit taking Philip away after this pure-hearted eunuch's baptism, it begs the question of when the sequel will come out because we're captured on the edge of our seats wanting to see how God's mission is moved to the ends of the earth. But that remains to be known. So about six years ago uh, i had the opportunity in college to serve as a uh, chaplaincy intern at md anderson cancer center in houston and it was a very life-changing time in my life and i know a, a few of you i've shared stories with uh, from that time that summer of those three months and the one i'm going to share with you today uh, ties in so well with how the spirit works in us and those in need of a blessing so it was close to the fourth of july that year and I'd visited a lady in the hospital, and we'll just call her Sarah for anonymity's sake, uh, and she had been in for a stem cell transplant. And stem cell patients at MD Anderson are treated very differently than most of the other patients at the hospital because once you receive your transplant, you have to live within close proximity of the hospital for 100 days following that for follow-up visits, check-ins, and that sort of thing. But Sarah was still in the hospital. She hadn't had her treatment yet, and I'd briefly met her in a prior visit where I introduced myself. I knew she was the mother of a couple children. She was from out of state, and she considered herself to be a spiritual person in a broad sense. So I saw her name on my list and decided just to go check in and follow up with her. Upon my entering the room, the lights were out, and Sarah was sitting on a bench next to the window by herself. I asked her if I could come in, and she agreed. Within a few seconds of visiting with her and asking how she was doing, tears began streaming down her face and through the talking in the midst of her sobs she shared that her family had left to go home to be with their extended family for the fourth of july holiday and meanwhile she was sitting in a hospital room in houston texas not knowing what was going to happen next so i offered to pray with her and she accepted and in the midst of our prayer we just poured our hearts out to god and as i spoke tears began streaming down my face And following our prayer together, we hugged and said a few things to one another, and then I left the room, having let her know that if she needed me to come back, just call the chaplaincy office. I was at MD Anderson for another month following that visit, and I never saw her again. I don't know what happened after that visit. I don't know when she got to see her family again. I don't know when she got to go back home or if she even got to go back home. But what I do know is that our meeting for that 15 minutes or so is forever ingrained in my mind because the power of the Holy Spirit in making that connection. And I'm not using this story or example to focus on myself or Sarah. I am use it to show the power that comes in following the Holy Spirit's guidance. Whether you realize it or not, through slowing down the pace of our busy lives and seeing how the Spirit shows up, someone was in need of assistance and encouragement. And while it didn't end in celebration or baptism, the Spirit directed me to her, just like the Spirit directed Philip to the eunuch. And many of you here today probably have a story similar to that. We could probably go around the room for the next couple hours with people sharing stories about that. Maybe it was you that was on the receiving end of this. Maybe it was you on the giving end that was prompted to do it. But every week we come together and bring these experiences and encounters we've had in witnessing the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's important to share these experiences with one another. You know, similar to Sarah's story, we don't know what happened to the eunuch after we finished reading the ends of Acts 8. We don't know the impact and baptisms that he may have performed back in Ethiopia, or maybe even the influence he had over his boss, the queen. In fact, we could probably have an entire book devoted in the Bible to his different missionary journeys and, and the ways that he was changing people's lives. But Luke doesn't give us any further details, only teaching us that in God's kingdom, unclean people play a significant role because the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, and in the lives of others, drawing them to Jesus and into community. So that begs the question, what does that mean for us today and individuals here at Kaufman Church of Christ? You know, there are people we interact with on a daily basis, some of whom are mere strangers. We don't know what their story is. We don't know what season of life they're in. We don't know what their background is. And on a larger scale, here in Kaufman County, very few of us at this church may interact with someone that may just live just a few feet away in our transitional living at the Hope Center apartment, or those that seek out assistance at the center here in town for food and clothing. But one thing I know for sure is this, that there are people in our lives, at our work, at our schools, and in this community that we haven't met yet, but that the Spirit is already at work with to encounter a moment where they can be shown mercy, compassion, and encouragement. may come at a moment that you least expect it, but you'll be forever changed when it happens, and know it was God at work in you. Let's not let our lives move too fast, church, to not see the opportunities that we are being called to. So last week, uh, Mike girl, came up to me after service and asked if I had any requests for songs to go along with service for this week. And I said, actually, yes, because God speaks to me many times through through song. And that song is We All Bow Down. And uh, when I was putting my thoughts together for today, that song just kept bubbling up in me. And you heard it as you came into worship this morning. And we're about to sing it together. But I believe it just so very well captures the text we dwelled on today, saying that all will bow down, declaring the lordship of Christ Jesus because of his love for us. For many of you, this may be a new song, but I want you to concentrate on the words you sing and just let God work on your hearts in it. So as we close, let's pray together. Holy God, we come before you today as unclean people seeking your face. We thank you for your story of redemption and use of people like the Ethiopian eunuch to enrich our love for you, and the people around us. May your spirit work in us and in the hearts of people who we may not have encountered or who this church may not have encountered to come alongside them and transform their lives through the power of your grace. Lord, I thank you for this group of people who seek your face and look to serve the kingdom in this area. We love you, and it's through the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray, amen. If there's a need today that we can fulfill or prayers that we can offer, Uh, we'd be more than happy to do so. There's a whole group, a whole church in here full of people that would be more than happy to pray with you and speak words of encouragement over you. And I just encourage you to, to do that this time as we stand and as we sing.